All of the newest episodes of Note to Self are now available on the Luminary Podcast app. It's free to download, and you can also listen to other podcasts from WNYC Studios, like Radiolab, Two Dope Queens, Snap Judgment, Here's the Thing with Alec Baldwin, and others. Luminary Premium is the only place where you can enjoy the entire new season of Note to Self, plus new original podcasts you won't find anywhere else, from Trevor Noah, Roxanne Gay, Guy Raz, Lena Dunham, and many more. And you can enjoy them ad-free. Start your free trial by going to luminary.link slash note to self or download the Luminary app for free. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. It's Note to Self, and it's our Mother's Day edition of Taking the Lead, our award-winning series about two ambitious moms who got seriously meta on the work-life balance issue that we're all facing as working parents in this country. This is episode three, where our heroes, Leslie Alley Walker and Raquel Ellison, face the very pain points that they're trying to solve. And as they say in startup world, they fail fast doing it, which is a good thing. I love a good personality quiz. Maybe you do too. Chance to get to know yourself a little better to pigeonhole those around you with a little pseudo-psychoanalysis. <laughs> One of my favorites is from the 90s. It's called the Enneagram Personality Scale. What, you've never heard of the Enneagram Personality Scale? Okay, so my sister and I love this personality test. It's a great dinner party game. Nine different personality types in all. Don't worry, we'll put a link on our website. There's a sample test. It'll take you like 10 minutes. I think that Rachel is a two, the helper She's her family's lead parent. She's also a work-life balance consultant. And she became an entrepreneur because she believes in social change, a fair shake for women. There's a social piece to what we're doing, and I think we need to capitalize on that. We want to have some social component that doesn't feel tacked on. We're not just going to be nominally social change, at least the way I see it. This has been her bone to pick all along. Rachel's business partner, Leslie, on the other hand, I'm guessing that she's an eight, a challenger. She comes from advertising. Her husband is the lead parent. She wants to make her mark as a female founder by creating a huge company. If we were 22, we'd be doing this. So we need to get out there. And if we don't get out there, we will be kicking ourselves. I want to basically flip. I want to flip big so we're taken seriously in the next thing that we do and the next thing that we do. Different styles, different goals, different things driving them. But together, can Rachel and Leslie create a company that conquers the work-life balance conundrum, gets more women into positions of power, and makes them tons of money? It's Note to Self the tech show about being human. I'm Manoush Samarodi. This is our four-part series, Taking the Lead. Welcome to episode three. The pressure, pressure from family, pressure from each other, pressure from themselves. Oh, and also financial pressure. If you haven't heard our first two episodes, go back and listen. There are lots of great stats, some nutty moments, and here's what listeners have told us about the series so far. Hi, my name is Mandy, and I just listened to the podcast, Taking the Lead. 
and I have so much to say. Hello, note to self. At four minutes and 53 seconds in, I decided that I had to make my first voice note ever to let you guys know how important this series is to me. Thank you for tackling the subject of motherhood and entrepreneurship. It was incredibly cathartic listening. As someone who is a mother and a startup founder, this series definitely hits home. I'm 33, living with my significant other. My career is very, very important to me. And having this series, even though I don't have children yet, helps me understand the obstacles that I'm up against if I were to decide to have children. It's just really nice to hear that others are in the same boat. It's okay not to bring pretzels to the preschool classroom. I'd like to add that I also heard from a listener who told me that using the phrase working mother is redundant. That's a very good point. (laughs) We'll keep using it just for consistency's sake for the rest of the uh, series here. Also, I heard from a couple stay-at-home moms who say they are struggling too, and they would also love a service like this. We shouldn't assume they've got it so easy. Absolutely. I did the stay-at-home mom thing for a little bit, and it was harder than any office job I ever had. Okay, so meanwhile... Here's a quick recap of what happened. In the first two episodes, we met Leslie and Rachel. They had an idea for a service, tech service, that would help really busy moms deal with all their household duties so they could kill it at the office. But then what happened was they had trouble creating this company precisely because creating the company was destroying their own work-life balance. Yes, hashtag meta. So when we left them, Leslie, with her husband acting as lead parent at home, she wants to plow ahead. But Rachel's worried that she's neglecting her children. She said, why are you working all the time, Mom? You never want to be with me. She's also feeling panicked by her quickly dwindling bank balance. Do you regret having moved as quickly as we did? I don't, but I'm scared to, I'm scared we jump over more hoops that we should be, like, carefully plotting through, and then, like, we owe a shitload of money. No money. It's the typical business founder's lament. But these days, there are incubators and accelerators and mentorship programs. Rachel and Leslie decide that they need to find one before they drown. But was there a program that could work with their family's schedules? They decided they could make it work at an accelerator in Springfield, Massachusetts, of all places, called Valley Venture Mentors, after they met this woman. Sure. Liz Roberts. I'm the general manager of the accelerator at Valley Venture Mentors. And I was a New York City-based tech entrepreneur who moved up to Western Mass for the good life three years ago. (laughs) So Liz is actually an angel investor herself. She and Valley Venture Mentors want to turn Springfield, Massachusetts into like a startup scene like Austin, Texas. It's also worth noting that the application process for this accelerator program is founder blind. That means that they don't ask about race or gender. And as a result, half of the entrepreneurs in the program are women and a third are people of color. So unlike in other accelerator programs, these entrepreneurs actually look like the majority of the U.S. population, which is kind of cool, right? Every other week and on the weekends, 
Raquel and Leslie make the three-hour drive north to Springfield. They get coaching from people who've made it. They build PowerPoint presentations with projected revenues and valuations. And of course, they practice their pitch. We know this problem intimately well. Working parents don't have enough support to manage work at home. Because at the end of the program, all the wannabe founders will get a chance to take the stage and pitch a dozen real investor judges. The prize is a check and maybe a judge who wants to invest directly in their business. It's exciting. It's motivating. This feels like progress for Raquel and Leslie. If they can just make it through the end of the accelerator, maybe then things will get more manageable. They'll get a jump start. Finally, at the end of May, after months of work, the final competition for the prize money is here, and I go along for the ride. Welcome aboard, Rachel. <laughs> Thank you. Train 148 to Springfield. <laughs> Rachel and I are on Amtrak the night before the big pitch. Leslie's already up in Springfield getting ready. Kudos to my husband. He took off the next two days so that I could go up and be with you. Really? Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Little side note as we were sitting there having our little glasses of wine on the train, Raquel told me that there are other accelerator programs that specifically woo female entrepreneurs and many of them promise to make investor introductions, but they also charge big fees. I can't tell you how many times I've heard people say, like, we'll hook you up with investors and then like we end up spending money on them for whatever reason and it doesn't work. I feel like that's, there's a very predatory part of the entrepreneur experience, especially for women. Valley Venture Mentors, though, is free. And the prize is $250,000. Ah, but it's divided up amongst 12 of the startup teams. The best pitch gets the most money. So so it's not a lot. It's not a lot. It's not a lot. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's... Were you doing this for the money? honestly don't know (laughs) yeah we were I mean part of it was the money and it's been hard to jump start the funding process especially considering that Leslie had originally envisioned need done as the uber for working parents does Leslie still want this to be uber I don't know the answer to that anymore I'm gonna ask her okay (laughs) I don't know the answer Coming up, Raquel and Leslie give the big pitch, and they make a strategic move that completely confuses me. We'll be right back. We're back. It's Note to Self. I'm Manoush Samarodi. This is the third episode of our four-part series, Taking the Lead. And this one's called The Pressure. Because boy, are Raquel and Leslie feeling it. All right, judges, thanks so much for being here. We have a couple starts just double-checking their slides. And then we're going to walk through the rules. On the morning of the big pitch, I walk over to the local mall where the accelerator has an auditorium. Raquel and Leslie are pacing with their fellow wannabe entrepreneurs. They're all looking real sharp in their suits, their bright primary colored dresses. They're waiting for their turn at the podium and a chance to show the 12 judges their passion and their PowerPoint decks. Um, It's Manoush. I'm seated in the uh, 
audience section. In front of me are lots of rows of judges filling out paperwork after each company does their pitch. And they're, they all seem slightly nervous, but excited with their slides and everything. Oh, we're starting again. The competition is kind of unexpected. So, okay, there's this guy that goes up and shows off a cell phone case that also makes rolling a joint super easy. I really serve the next generation of cannabis consumers with on-the-go smoking accessories. One woman has a bracelet company. Our primary customers are independently owned, single-unit or small-chain gift stores located in busy downtown districts. Another couple fellows are connecting single tourists with locals all around the world. It all started in my childhood in Germany, where every two years we moved to a new location. None of these startups, as far as I can tell, quite have the social impact goals like Rachel and Leslie's Need Done app. Maybe the woman who's connecting brides in the U.S. with women in developing countries who make wedding dresses. But that's kind of it. Hi, everyone. My name is Rachel. So I'm surprised when Rachel and Leslie finally take the stage to make their big pitch. And it's full of valuations and financial predictions and buzzwords. But that's kind of it. We will break even at 7,855 users, which will yield $1.2 million. I guess they're there to just prove that they can make a lot of money. We break even at 20 months. Sitting there behind the judges, watching them put all the months of work into this one single pitch. I don't know, like, where's the part about helping women at home so they can conquer their professional goals? No mention. And thanks to our community for your wonderful support. After the big pitch, Leslie and I go for coffee, and I ask her, I mean, did she feel like she was at a disadvantage with these investor judges? Is that why she doubled down on the financial stuff rather than what they think their service can help women achieve? I walk in and I don't have a hoodie and I'm not 24 and I'm not male and I don't have a, I haven't graduated from Stanford. Yeah, it's definitely like something that weighs in your mind. But given what we're creating, we're creating a parent app. And nobody has basically nailed it yet, so a parent's got to be the one to nail it. It's going to be somebody who just gives a shit about this, whether they're a parent or not, that wants to solve this problem, getting more women into the C-suite, getting more women to be able to get past this barrier so they can start changing the rules from the top. So it goes back to the mission, then? It does go back to the mission, very much so. I mean, I think that people have to be, they have to basically buy into the mission. But you didn't even mention that in your pitch. We couldn't really, we couldn't, it wasn't that we couldn't. We had to prioritize. With this particular group, we thought the numbers would be more important. They're trying to find a way to apportion like a certain amount of money towards something that they think will work as opposed to something they believe in. I mean, we've heard Rachel struggling with that, that she needs to be, you know, whether it's that she really does, as a human being, want to go pick up her kids, or whether that's something that the culture has reinforced, that she's not being a good mom, if she's not the one who does the most of the pickups, where do you land in that? What's going on in your head? I'm a little bit, I'm, I I don't think I struggle with it as much as Raquel, probably because I've always been the primary income provider. There was one conversation that you and Raquel had a couple months ago where you you are very open. You're like, I'm lucky. 
I've kind of figured it out at home. I can go whole hog on this. And she isn't sure. What were you thinking in that conversation? I was thinking how much I'm going to miss her. And we have different needs and different goals even in what we're creating. Like hers is much more of that social mission and making sure we get it. I'm just focusing on the product to give her the license to be able to bring the solution to people. But there's so much in trying to create this product that if she can't dedicate the same amount of time, that's okay. Like Leslie told me that yeah, she was looking for someone to fill Rachel's position. To get somebody to fill your shoes. Who is that person? Don't know yet. Okay, zoom ahead five years. What does success look like? Success would be basically taking this to a place where we've become a global proposition, not unlike an Uber, something that is recognized as a necessary component to life. And with that, Leslie went to meet Rachel and answer any further questions from the judges. Then it was time to get dressed, get ready for the awards gala. We met back in my hotel room. What were the judges like? You just came back from due diligence. I was not allowed to join you. Um, Tell me what that was like. Some of them were very, very um, into the idea. Some of them surprised me by um, (laughs) (laughs) just by being super patronizing. And I think there was even one that made a point of going, well, you're going to have to be ready for the VCs because, you know, you can't really be like two moms. We had some people who were really engaged who I never would have picked out of the crowd that were engaged. The women? Men. Men. Men more so. Yeah. But they focused on the the business model. They focused on the model and the technology where we were using, the choices we were making. Um, women less so. I don't want to make a generalization, but it was really difficult to have a couple of our biggest detractors be the people that we would have assumed would have related to this problem enough to go, oh, somebody's trying to solve it. Let me try and give you something constructive. The conversation turned to the money that they hoped they would win, at least enough to dig them out of the hole that this whole startup thing had gotten them into. What I'm I'm basically sacrificing is the college fund. Uh Yep. I think if I had to be honest about it, I think we're sacrificing more than the college fund on my end, um, which is scary. All right, ladies, you got to get mm. your finery on and get ready to pick up a check, finery. hopefully, right? Yes. yes. Okay. Ugh. Okay. All right, All right I'm going to put on a dress, too. I couldn't get the idea out of my head that the reason why those female judges weren't supportive was because they just didn't connect with the pitch. I needed to track one down and ask her for myself. So at the cocktail party before the awards, Leslie pointed out one female judge who she felt had been particularly dismissive of their idea. Can I ask you a few questions? Is that okay? Sure. Tell me your name. My name is Sandra Stone. And you are a judge here. I am a judge. I am the chair emeritus of the Maine Angels Investment Network up in Maine. And can I ask you honestly what you thought of their idea, what you think of Need Done? Um, I was struggling a little bit with the idea at first, trying to figure out how that would be monetizable. If they asked you right now for money, what would you say? 
where's the exit? Where's the return to the investor? I think it's a tough value proposition to sell. What if, okay, sorry to push you on this. I'm curious. What if you did it for not just a value proposition, but because you want to change the paradigm, make something that helps more women get into the C-suite? Because I think that's in part how they see this business. And they didn't talk a lot about the social... They didn't talk about that at all. I think they skipped a few steps to get to you. And it makes me sad because... What has gotten me most excited about it is this idea of changing a societal problem, of getting more women to be able to not drop out when they have children. I don't see, I actually don't see the connection there. Okay, so here's how, from what I understand. Society has an issue. It still mostly, for the majority, comes down to the women who do the majority of the housekeeping, figure out what's going on with the kids' schedules, take them to doctor's appointments, yada, yada, yada. So the idea is that, like, if something happened at work and instead of, like, oh, crap, my kid is sick, I have to leave, you access the network. Someone else steps in. You don't have to drop the ball with an important client and you don't get penalized for being a woman with kids and a husband who also works. And a society that says, well, of course the woman will be the one that has to answer the call first. Um, and that's a good point. I think that um, the points that you're making are ones that did not really get presented. Does it surprise you that they left out those details and that they really... That's critical in my mind because that makes me think of it in a different way than the way that I was looking at it. I happen to be somebody that also wants to value social impact investing. So if, if I have two equal investments... And one is going to either be a female entrepreneur or impact the, the things that are really being uh, accessibility or uh, empowering differentials for women. That's where I'm going to probably invest. Should I give them advice? Should I tell them to go back to the story? I mean, I'm inserting myself into the story right now. Like, well, I almost want to replay what you've had. They should listen to this. <laughs> okay, so I'd convinced one skeptical female investor... But what about one of the male investors? Rachel and Leslie said some of them had been actually very supportive. Maybe they really were won over by emphasizing financial valuations in the pitch rather than social values. Ali Usman, and uh, I'm an entrepreneur, and I'm also a member of the local angel group. And may I ask what your impressions of Need Done were? Well, uh, very impressed. I think I used to live in Brooklyn, and... There's definitely a need uh, for families to rely on the networks of uh, their neighbors and the other friends in the neighborhood. And uh, it's a great idea. And uh, I actually did award them some money. So, of course, I'm in their camp. So if you you are in their camp, if they came to you and asked you to invest in them, what would you say? I think at this stage they need to, before I can present them to the investment group, uh, they would have to uh, prove the model on the ground. They didn't really go into this in the pitch, but one thing that I've heard them talk a lot about is the social component of this. When they started out, this was that was the goal. It was to change the culture so that more women ended up in the C-suite. Does that surprise you? You have a funny look on your face. The reason I had the funny uh, look is because I did not hear that from them. If they have a personal story, it tells me that they're not going to give up. But did did any, you listen to their pitch? I did okay. listen to their pitch. So I you, was, you, you I, noticed they didn't mention Yeah, it. I asked them. I was like, Where, where's the story? Uh, I, 
Yeah, definitely. They said, well, you didn't have enough time. We had to focus on the numbers. That's what the investors want to hear. It's like buying a house. You like a house because you just like it. I don't know. I mean, you know, so <laughs> same way if you feel there is an, if you can connect on an emotional level. Um, and this this thing about getting more women into the C-suite is, a, is important to both men and women, you know. Man, what the hell? Based on what these two judges just told me, it sounded like Leslie and Rachel were going to be awarded peanuts for prize money. Why hadn't anyone given Rachel and Leslie this advice about doubling down on the social mission and their personal investment and struggles before, like during the accelerator? I had to hunt down the accelerator's general manager, who you met before, Liz Roberts, the angel investor, the former Brooklyn resident and mother. What did she tell them? But there's pressure to be fair to them, that you have to fit in a certain box and that that's what you see getting funded. I told Liz that it sounded like Rachel had realized that she couldn't fit into that box and that she'd wanted to try and rewrite the rules by acknowledging that they are two middle-aged moms who also happen to be badass entrepreneurs. But then Leslie had, like, it seemed to me, looked around and said, yeah, but nobody who gets big money looks like us, so if we want to succeed, we need to do it the way it's done. You just said something, though, a minute ago. You said that you would advise them to be a feminist company. That's me, focus group of one. But yes, I do think there's something about them just being more all-in that would differentiate So why were they reluctant? Why? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's something vulnerable about that, right? Because if I'm all-in and I'm really doing it, then you're rejecting me and my idea. They made a choice to do this and sort of chase the way they see it's done, and it's hard to be a trailblazer and do something totally different and out of the box. Liz told me that she had actually advised them to focus on how democratizing caretaking could free women. The idea of sharing resources could bring women up together. But then, cocktail hour was over, and I had run out of time with my pitch. We head into the gala. I'm seated right between Leslie and Rachel, unsure which way the rest of the judges would fall. Would they embrace the more traditionally male presentation style of an app that happens to be for working moms? Or would the whole point of the app be lost on them because they didn't feel for the two women making the app and the pain points that they and their future customers were facing? Another glass of Pinot Grigio, anyone? This was extremely stressful. On the one hand, I really wanted them to win because I want working women to win, right? But on the other hand, if they won the big pot of money, that would be rewarding a presentation that was mostly about finances and ignored the gender equality aspect, a presentation that skirted the real issues, issues that need to be discussed, that we're trying to discuss here. I didn't want to be vindicated. But then, well, of course I did. Anyway. The next $9,000 check is for me done. They came in ninth out of 12, on par with the guy and the cell phone-covered joint roller thing. How do you feel? Okay. Leslie <laughs> <laughs> just told me she's a little disappointed. Um, I share her disappointment. That was... I'm grateful for the opportunity. 
down by the cash mount. <laughs> After the awards, the lights came up, and we sat there with that big foam check, you know, like the one that Publishers Clearinghouse surprises people with. There's room for three more zeros on that. <laughs> the big winner, by the way, was the woman who was connecting brides with dressmakers in developing countries. I guess her value proposition was solid. I can guarantee you that the wedding dress person doesn't have five-year revenue projections of $45 million. This is Stephen DeMarco. He was sitting next to us. He's a marketing and startup mentor. And he'd been advising Leslie and Rachel up until this point. So when they walk out of here with that check, what should they do next? Go for, go for a lot of money. Go for like 5 or $10 million. I agree. And that's the goal. Because what we expect to do is really grow fast as soon as we launch. What, Stephen, how, did, how? How does she work and run this? Superwoman. Superwoman. Well, we're not superwomen. Isn't that what we've learned? You need me to basically make sure everybody else doesn't have to do this. And That's I think kind of what entrepreneurs do. It's like, you know, you achieve things greater than the resources available. That's the definition of entrepreneurship. On the final episode of Taking the Lead. You've got to prove that you know your stuff almost first. At least that's what I've learned. I've had most success once people don't see my gender when they see my talent. Leslie and Rachel come into the studios here at WNYC, and I play them what the judges told me about their pitch. But wait, is Rachel even going to stay part of this company? We have made different decisions. Plus, a very intimate conversation about the roles of men and women in today's families. First, with the woman who reignited this whole conversation just a couple years ago, Hillary Clinton's former right-hand woman at the State Department, Anne-Marie Slaughter. My children periodically look at me and say, Mom, you just wrote a book about care and you're on the road all the time. And we'll talk to the guy who's at home while Anne-Marie is on the road, her husband and the family's lead parent, Andrew Moravchik. You can't quite resist the psychological temptation when Anne-Marie doesn't know that there's a piano recital coming up or something like that to say, how can you not know there's a piano recital coming up? Which is a coded way of saying, I've been working hard to get this piano recital ready. How can you not appreciate that kind of thing? You know, yeah, that, that kind of stuff happens. Where you, me, society, and technology all go from here. Subscribe to Note to Self so you don't miss this final installment. Also, we love getting your feedback on this series. Record a voice memo. Email us at note to self at wnyc.org. You can also reach out to us on Twitter or Facebook. We love hearing from you. And of course, uh, leave comments or find more. There's this awesome list of resources that you guys have been creating with me about work-life balance content, books, articles. It's great. It's at note2selfradio.org. This series was produced by me and Jen Poyant. It was mixed and made beautiful by Joe Plord and Hannes Brown. Many thanks to Jenna Cagle, Seth Kelly, and Megan Kinane for their production support this week, too. This is Note to Self from WNYC Studios. I'm Anoush Samarodi. 
I'm a reporter at the Wall Street Journal, and my husband and I were running out of time to start a family given our more advanced ages. The old-fashioned way wasn't working, so we started in on fertility treatments just as my work covering the Republican presidential field was kicking in. I was up in New Hampshire earlier this year for one campaign swing. On what was supposed to be my last day there, my editor called me up to stay an extra day to cover Trump's campaign rally in Lowell, Massachusetts. I quickly said yes, as it was a great opportunity, only to realize I needed more medication, and if I stopped taking it, it would be a blow to this fertility cycle. So I finished covering Chris Christie's speech on national security, then ran out in the cold and frantically called my nurse, and of course blamed myself for choosing my job once again over finally allowing myself to put family first. Eventually, I got the drugs, and I got to Lowell just in time to cover Trump. It was these drugs on that third round that got me pregnant. We were expecting a boy in October, and what a relief it all worked out. But I still have some lingering guilt about how far I pushed this work and pregnancy juggling. This is all too common and yet not talked about, and so that's why I'm sharing this story.